This is the Alchemize Your Life podcast. Today we're talking about why you shouldn't eat babies. No, 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 I'm just joking. Wait, babe, no, that is highly inappropriate. <laughs> that only comes in at the end. So what, listen all the way to the end for to understand that joke. But actually, today we're talking about the difference between old and new and spiritual lineages and why older is not always better. Hi, I'm Sian Kenshin. And I'm Sophie Ma. And we're here to alchemize, alchemize your life. In this podcast, we show you how to apply the principles of spirituality, prosperity, and sexuality to create true and lasting transformations in your life and business. Join us at the Prism Institute of Quantum Alchemy as we explore the ancient, esoteric teachings of Buddhism, Tantra, Hermetics, and more. As we weave these primal energies together within ourselves, we repair the fractured consciousness of humanity itself. Join us in liberating the world and realizing that the gold is in you. Today, I want to talk about this totally pervasive concept, especially in the spiritual community, that older is better. What, what, do, you, what do you mean? I love ancient traditions. I know. I won't even read a book less than 500 years old. I know, and that's I, the problem. That was the old me anyways. I totally, I know, and there's a problem <laughs> with that. Also, you're the older of the two, and I'm just saying that you're not better. I would certainly never say anything like that. No, That never. would get me into a lot of trouble. Yes, it would. With many people. Yes, it would. Not just you. <laughs> yes, it would. But especially you. Especially me. <laughs> um, yeah, but we've been seeing this so, so much in, in the spiritual communities where this idea, I see it in marketing, and I even see it as like a claim to fame in a lot of the like, I don't even know what the right word is, like, okay, I'll say authentic Tantra communities. Um, or some of the more lineage-based communities that are like, well, this has been around for a thousand years. How can you argue with it? This has been around for 2,000 years. How can you argue with it? Like it's been proven to work. And Yeah, totally. I, I, see, I see that even in like um, the, the, the Dzogchen tantric tradition that the Tibetans have, right? They're like, oh, you know, like people for hundreds and hundreds of years have been having to do prostrations to get into this lineage as like an initiatory practice. And I'm like, yeah, but this tradition's been around longer than that. So who's to say that, you know, they're still necessary? Mm -hmm. This is just Sean's way of getting out of doing his prostrations, by the way. For everybody uh, listening in, he bitches about actually, this all the time. I actually don't mind them. I, I mind that I have to do them. I know. That's the <laughs> I actually like the practice is wonderful. It's very magical. It's very powerful. I just don't like that I have to do them. I know. It's so Scorpio of you. <laughs> I can't wait till you finish them so you can stop complaining about them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's not the only the only thing like we, we've seen, though, as no. well, right? Like there's been... There's been many things that have shifted over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like let's not even look at an esoteric principle. Like let's just take a, a regular everyday principle that everyone looks at right now. Your car. What about my car? I don't have a car. Well, not your car, their car. Oh, their car. Okay, yes. Okay, let's let's look at your car. Okay, so their car, your car, not Cian's car. Hmm. Um, you know, what year was it made? Let's say 2015. And probably that's, you know, a good thing that it's not 100 years old. Probably. Yeah. Like, even if you were to go back to a car 
that is even just 50 years old, it would not be well suited to life in the modern day. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, Costa Rica is like, if you look at the cars they have, they're 50 years old. And the pollution and everything is like, pretty, yeah, pretty profound, right? Yeah, yeah, their engines aren't as efficient, the type of gas that they use is not is not as good. They don't have air conditioning, they don't have, you know, any type of radio player in some cases. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I need fully leaded fuel, please. <laughs> <laughs> right. They and they're all going to be manual, they may or may not be able to like make it up roads depending on like where you live in the world. Sorry, could you say that again? Siri, oh, you cannot do that. Siri, that was rude. That How was dare rude. you? Siri, stop listening to me. I thought you said you're not supposed to listen to me. <laughs> Anyways, pardon the rude interruption by Siri. Um, so there's all these features and all these cultural expectations that have been developed, you know, and even like that's not even considering luxury items. That's just like baseline survival. Will this thing actually work in the modern day for a car? Hmm. All of these things are technologies. Right. So we're we're looking at a technology and we're like, oh, OK, if a computer is another really obvious example. Oh, but, my God. Like, like very obvious. Like yeah. How fast does that change? Yeah. Like at, within two years, you know, it's like, hey, I need to upgrade again. Hey, I need to upgrade again. Maybe five if you're lucky. Well, yeah. And, and I don't know if you've ever built a computer. I have, but not since I was 10. OK, well, yeah. <laughs> If you've ever built a computer, you would know that if you upgrade, like the motherboard, for example, in many cases, that means like you used to be able to like reuse the old memory and the old CPU and like your cards and everything. But nowadays it's like you upgrade one thing and that means you have to upgrade like everything. Everything else breaks because they're literally not compatible anymore. Yeah, because like the, the amount, the rate of change is like so fast that like the things that you plug into it like the the stuff that it needs is totally different mm -hmm. and this is really important because when what we're seeing with these ancient teachings is that you know there's there's the seed of truth mm -hmm. but then there's also the cultural window dressing that goes around it and the delivery system and the delivery system and quite often we don't realize that those things can are separate we mm -hmm. just take it all as the seed of truth. Mm -hmm. And we wrap it in this pretty bow and we say, oh, well, it's ancient. So like, it therefore, this is the way it is. And we think that these ancient cheating, uh, teachings are immutable, right? You teach it once and then it's just always that way. But I mean, we have many, many examples throughout history where that's not the case. Like, for example. Well, even even Buddhism has had three turnings of the wheel, right? Exactly. Like they, they started with like basic foundational meditation and, and awakening. And then, you know, like uh, emptiness kind of came around. And then there's like the tantric sort of like evolution of energy and, and like alchemization that they, they went into later on so you know like yeah things evolve mm -hmm. well and even and you guys have been chatting about this a lot in your zen order right the evolution of zen each oh, time it jumped a to country totally like um zen obviously well maybe not obviously zen came from buddhism in india mm -hmm. right? i don't think that's obvious by okay. the way well, well, <laughs> buddha woke up in india 2500 years ago and he started teaching buddhism 
And, you know, Buddhism claimed its lineage from Vedic and Upanishad sort of stuff, like all of the Sanskrit stuff, right? Mm -hmm. He had access to that stuff. He kind of open sourced it. He tweaked it for his own purposes. And then he taught awakening technology to the masses. Back then, awakening technology was closely guarded secrets mm -hmm. that's why they use sanskrit sanskrit was basically a made-up language that the elites used to keep the non-elites from accessing their their content oh interesting when are we <laughs> making our own language <laughs> uh i, I don't know note. that we want to be that elitist i think we want our, our message to get out you know um Anyways, that's a, that's a rabbit hole that we can go down another day. Actually, we should note that. But um, let, let us know. Do you guys want okay. to hear about that? So Buddhism was then brought to China uh, by this gentleman named Bodhidharma, and you know Buddhism had some traditions that were traditions based off of the conditions, the culture, and the culture. For example. In India, it became common practice for monks to only eat one meal a day. And it was a very light meal. A very, very light simple. meal. Very simple. Usually like a little bit of rice and some water. Um, and if you're lucky, something else that somebody gave you, right? But it was, it was always very simple and very light. And, and you know, when you're sitting around meditating 8 to 16 hours a day, you don't need a lot. Yeah. Right? And in India, there was a really good monastic system that supported people in not doing a lot of like labor and stuff to maintain their lifestyle. China was really different. A, it was colder, right? Mm -hmm. So the body's already going to use more calories just like to produce heat to keep yep, you warm. Surviving. Right? <laughs> and the land was harder to work. And so, and they didn't have a system that stopped the monks from needing to work. Right. So, so the monks had to produce a lot of their their own food and everything um, to create the uh, semi monastic system in China. Um, and it took like long, long time for that to take off in China. But like when it did, like initially the monks were all trying to eat one meal a day, mm -hmm. thinking that this is part of awakening technology. And eventually they decided, you know, this, this just isn't working for us. <laughs> After feeling bad about it for a while, probably, yeah. <laughs> they went to two meals a day and they found that that worked for them. And a little bit heartier meals too. A little bit that heartier That were more meals, culturally little regional. That put a little more warmth into their bodies, right? And, and you know, they, they then found out like, oh yeah, you can still wake up on two meals a day. Mm -hmm. imagine that. <laughs> imagine that wow you can wake up on two meals a day wow okay so this isn't part of the technology that we use to wake up no. this is this is literally just a, a tradition that was adopted because of the conditions and the culture mm -hmm. and there's been other pieces i think too that you've mentioned that you've been discussing in your zen order of things moving from and we don't need to necessarily go into them today but the differences between the zen lineage specifically going from India to China to Japan yeah. to Western to Western yeah like 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 it was it was like just Buddhism in India and it became the Chan in China and that moved into Japan and became Zen and then Zen is moving into North America and it's 
becoming something else. Something completely different. They still call it Zen, but like if you actually, and I do, (laughs) compare the Zen in North America to the Zen in Japan, in a lot of cases, specifically in my Zen order, it's like very different. Mm -hmm. It's been refined. It's been adapted. It's like it's hitting Western culture and it's molding and merging just just like it did three other times. Mm-hmm. And we see the same thing happen with yoga too, right? Mm-hmm. Like Western yoga is very different than what you're going to see when you participate in the lifestyle that is yoga in, you know, India, as an example. It's yeah, not a you, workout that you even, do for 45 minutes a day. Even if you're in a traditional um, lineage like Ashtanga, where you do have like a very like regimented teaching of like this is the teaching you know you're not going for a workout you're actually you're you're working on energy you're doing all this stuff it's still you're not like living there Mm -hmm. right you're you're still doing it in work and play and you know people still drink and Mm -hmm. still eat meat and all of this stuff which is very different from what they would do in india Mm -hmm. but again the conditions are different Mm -hmm. right there's there's not an ashram you know, in, in, in the middle of New York where you can go and just live for a couple months and like, you know, purify your body for yoga. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we bring this up today because there's both pros and cons here. And the first shadow that comes up is this idea that just because it's old, that means we have to do it this very specific way. And that is no longer in alignment with our existing culture and it's not serving us. So we'll, we'll have some examples there. Um, the other thing I really want to talk about is examples where it has served us. We've got some really good examples Mm. of that to start with, um, where the allowing of the evolution has really served. Mm. So for example, there used to be for all of these esoteric teachings, we used to see, um, what did you call it? Hand to mouth? Uh, ear to mouth (laughs) mouth to ear mouth to ear i'm like i just call it in person but apparently there's a fancy meaning for this mouth mouth to ear teachings which all all of the secret lineages started as mouth to ear yeah right and this is how they maintain secrecy the teachings were never ever written down Mm -hmm. and that 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 gives you tremendous control but it wasn't just about secrecy right well, the secrecy was there for a reason, and it's the reasons we're talking about, right? There, the secrecy was a solution to a problem that had some symptoms, and and the problem was that if we uh, do not um, have secrecy, then there are risks, right? Because there's persecution in the history, right? Religious persecution, right? The teacher, the teachings. And the students are all at risk if there's not a tremendous amount of secrecy. Mm-hmm. And this is physical risk we're talking of. Physical risk, right? Like, you know, look at Socrates as just a like a wild example that popped into my head. You know, he uh, was teaching wealthy college-level students, like, of wealthy people. He was teaching them to think for themselves. <sighs> And to question reality and to question the matrix, not necessarily the financial matrix, but he, he was teaching them to question the indoctrination, which was created by their culture, created by their parents. And, you know, when a whole bunch of wealthy parents start having wealthy kids start to think for themselves and question them, oh man, like, 
That's no bueno. It's no bueno, especially if these kids are are getting some enlightenment or are like, oh, I don't want to work for my dad. I want to like go and live in the forest and like, you <laughs> I know. I want to be a fairy. I want to be, a, yeah. I, I just like these hippie girls are so cool, you know? Like, <laughs> they had hippie girls back then? I'm sure they did. <laughs> Might have called them something different. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think they called them witches back then. Witches. Yeah. These, these witchy <laughs> girls are so cool, you know? They like... They're so free and they don't have to wear bras. I, the equivalent of right? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, obviously back then corsets. it was different. They they're not wearing wear, corsets. Not wear, they don't have to wear corsets. They're so free, right? Like, you can imagine the parents, like, like I sent you to that school and this Socrates fellow is teaching you this witchcraft. You're like, supposed to come out more brainwashed, not freeder. Right? So so the, the students are at risk. So the parents are like, punishing them mm-hmm. and then like the teacher socrates they, they killed the guy i did not know that yeah like by poison i think it was uh, i don't really remember the exact um i think it was poison he had a quote trial and then there's death by poison mm. um in his prison cell uh it was very sad um and then all of his teachings were like they they tried to literally burn them all and like like wipe them away obviously some people have have preserved them Mm -hmm. but like this is an example of the teacher the teachings and the students being at physical risk due to flying in the face of the current narrative Mm -hmm. which really is what all of these teachings are doing right it doesn't matter what generation you're in or what year you're in for some reason esoteric teachings just never seem to make it mainstream right they're always going to be the other the weird the like flying in the face of normalcy but by definition because of the word esoteric yeah like like the 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 foundational teaching of these things is to deconstruct egoic structures egoic structures are put there by society Mm -hmm. we're deconstructing those so that consciousness can evolve and and like discover itself anew Mm -hmm. the old structures are always going to fight against that Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, we did an episode on NPCs too, and how not everybody's available even to wake up, which means these and shouldn't. It's not good for anybody if everybody wakes up all at once. So you can go check out that episode. Just search Alchemize Your Life and then the word Karen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think she's in the title. It's a few episodes back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was one of the first earlier ones we did. Um, but one of the problems that we have with this so this is an example of a tradition, right? We, do, we don't put things on paper. Yeah. And we don't um, we don't share them publicly, right? Like this yeah. is for initiates only, and there's and there's good reason for it. And if we look at like for example, and there was good reason for it. There was good reason for it. But let's look at a not like an example where this kind of backfired a little bit. Tibet, yeah, right. Tibet held all the teachings, and then what happened? China. China happened. China happened and blew Tibet up, basically. Right, and all right. the teachings got lost, and, and except well, for the small little few communities that were able to to yeah, get away. Like a lot of a lot of Rinpoches got like got out, mm-hmm. thank God, and now their teachings are kind of in the wind, right? Like their teachings are spreading around the world. So there was a good and bad sort of effects of that. The mm-hmm. bad is we don't even know the teachings that we've lost. Exactly. Right. And and the good is, well, now the teachings are no longer bound behind the walls of Tibet and mm-hmm. they're actually starting to make their way through the world. Mm-hmm. And we've also seen an example of like l- letting go of this tradition of secrecy happening in a lot of the more um, open mystery schools. 
Yeah, well, the mystery schools and the tantric schools, like there's a number of teachers that we've encountered who have who have like echoed actually the Dalai Lama in saying the time of secrecy is over. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Dalai Lama said that, and now I think all of the other schools are like listening. Dalai Lama is a very interesting character who's maybe more mysterious than most people would recognize. Absolutely. (laughs) Like there's like, he's not simply the head of Tibetan Buddhism. No, there's much more to that. (laughs) There's a lot more going on there, uh, which we can't talk about. No. That part is still secret. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ironically. Ironically enough. Yeah, that part is still secret. Um, But him saying the time of secrecy is over and then all of the other mysterious schools following that uh, directive is very interesting, Mm -hmm. I would say, from a a hierarchical, non-hierarchical perspective. Um, And anyways, like, yeah, so we've encountered a number of schools who are like opening their teachings. And if you look at the reason why teachings were secret, perhaps you'd understand, well, okay, conditions have changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you really start to dissect it, like we don't we don't have the same, like our consciousness is at a, type, a place where like, you know, we're unlikely to have witch burning trials. Multiculturalism, right? Yeah. Pluralism. Exactly. Is, is a thing that's starting to take hold in, you know, world hierarchies, governments, and, and this sort of thing. Yeah, we don't necessarily love it when somebody has super weird vis- um, ideals and beliefs that are not our own, but we're a lot less likely as a collective to burn their house down. Yeah. And Doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but it's like substantially less no, likely. We, we call them out on Facebook instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's gotten a lot softer. Exactly. Uh, the call-out culture is not necessarily a good thing, but it's like an evolution from uh, the witch burning culture i'd say yeah, yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll take call out culture over be- burning on a stake any day of the week even though you know we'll do a whole other episode on call out culture and how damaging it is but that's not for today yeah, but it, it's like yeah it may be damaging but it's it's like way way more highly evolved than burning yeah witch burning than, than so dying. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm actually quite quite <laughs> pleased with that quite pleased with call out versus the alternative you know yeah so the threat of of physical harm for the teacher Mm. and the students is substantially reduced. And the teachings, I mean, mean, they're all over the place, right? You can't just burn a book and expect it to be gone now. No, I mean, there's a certain level of Amazon can like blacklist your book and that, you know, then you have to make it a PDF for people to download, but it can still get out there. Which we know some people who have done that. You can put it on the blockchain and then no one can delete it ever. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, isn't There's, that interesting from an yeah. esoteric perspective? Yeah. The the only real way to lose teachings nowadays is dilution. Mm-hmm. And that is an important other edge of the sword oh for discussion, God. right? How, who, who here is a love alchemist? <laughs> I mean, what does or, alchemy mean? Or a, uh, I, I mean, from... From the market's perspective, alchemy means whatever you want. Yeah. And so, you know, and we've seen this with the word tantra too, right? And actually even the word mystery school. like Magician. And magician, right? Like mystery school is not a word that is protected. Anybody can call themselves a mystery school. And yet... 
It actually are you actually in alignment with the truth of what an actual mystery school is? The problem is most people don't know what that is. Right, and this is where we see the dilution. And, and the people who do know what that is would say there's only seven in the world. Mm-hmm. One for each chakra. Mm-hmm. Right, and and those people would never really tell a lot of people about that, and would also probably not argue against somebody who was calling themselves a mystery school i know a few people that definitely would just like i know a few people that argue against you know the word tantra being there are a few being used i've I've heard they're softening their stance now (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah and just recognizing that you know we all have to evolve with the marketplace and like find new ways of communicating what we mean because like realistically words are just words they're also spells they're they're spells but like you have to choose words that will resonate correctly in the minds of the right people right and i mean like full transparency here you guys i mean we've just been working on this literally the last couple days of the according to this as at the time of this recording pardon me which is like how do we communicate the realm of magic to people so that you'll get it because if you're listening to this you get it so, like, we don't need to convince you. Yeah, you guys are all, like, indoctrinated. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, communicating to the marketplace is a totally different thing. And yeah, that, we can't use the word magic because that word's been so watered down. Yeah, well, and I mean, that's why people do that. They'll adopt words like tantra or magic or Mystery alchemist. School or, or alchemist, because, yeah. Because they're trying to communicate something that's kind of in that territory, right? Mm-hmm. And then when enough people start doing that, then it becomes a meme. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, they're using that word. That That's creating a market. Is that what is that what the word trope means? Trope, yeah. 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 Oh my God, I used Close. it right. Yeah. <gasps> Yay. Yeah. Trope meme. Yeah, it's like uh, it's a com it's a common thing that starts to get reused and reused and reused mm-hmm. um, to the point where the people who you know n levels down are using it don't necessarily know what it means. They're just using it because they've seen it be effective by somebody else using it, right? Yeah, and that's where dilution happens, mm-hmm. and then the people who have the thing that's quote real, who understand what the word the original intent was need to shift and that's what we're that's what we're also that's what we're working on is like is like okay like we can actually shift our language and stay ahead of the curve and stay out of the fragmented um saturated marketplace tantra alchemist magic magicians and, and and start like communicating with new words uh that we've found resonate correctly with people Mm-hmm. And so all of this to say, you guys, to bring it back, that just because it's old doesn't mean it should be done like verbatim, mm-hmm. right? Like, don't be the monks in China that were starving themselves to death because you thought it was tradition to eat one bowl of rice and that legitimately did not work for you. Just because it's older does not mean it's better. Conditions change. Yeah. Yeah. And don't get... You know, and, and we've had a bit of a conversation here about, about things being watered down, but this isn't to say that, like, Neo-Tantra is lesser than Ancient Tantra. No, it's just very simply different. Recognizing those differences and having conscious choice 
in which ones you choose and not just following blindly is so, so, so important. So anytime somebody comes to you on your spiritual journey or on your path of awakening and says, you got to do this thing and it doesn't really resonate for you, when you get curious and you ask why, because as you guys know, sometimes res lack of resonance is something you push through. Or resistance, yeah. And sometimes it's something that is actually a lack of resonance and you got to listen to that, right? So you need check to learn the difference. Check out episode 19 if you want to <laughs> If you want to learn, yeah. yeah. The episode right before this one goes into great detail about that. Um, so you've got to learn how to do that dance. And a good way that you learn to do that dance is by asking questions and getting curious. And if when you get curious, the answer you get back is, this is just the way it's been done for thousands of years. Do it that way. That That's concerning to me. Like, yes, there's value in something being old and consistently practiced. And we talk about how magic, like the sigils work because they've been practiced over and over and over again by thousands of magicians over thousands of years. That's accurate. But, but we're not they know, sitting. They, they know why it works. Right. We're not sitting here saying, oh, just do prostrations because I said so, because everybody else does prostrations, because every other person for thousands of years has done prostrations. That was literally the answer they gave me, which is fucking why I like, yeah. you know, I now know why you do them. Yes. But that was never explained to me. Exactly. And yeah. so when that's not explained to you, if there's a good reason for it, there's a good reason for it. But if that's not coming from your teacher or your guide or whoever it is that you're following that's giving you this directive in the first place, it's really, really important to check in because just because it's old does not mean it's better. Driving a 1910 Ford through the mountains and hills of California is not going to get you further than a 2020 Dodge Ram. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of the same as, you know, like we've been doing this practice for thousands of years this is just the way it's done that's just as ignorant a thing to do as to just use a word because everyone else is using it without understanding what without it is. understanding you know like that like i think that's the core nugget of truth here mm -hmm. is like always understand why you're doing things yeah don't like, follow blindly because that is where you're gonna find truth and your truth Right. And a lot of the principles, um, or a lot of the lineages that we've followed have given us, here's, here's a practice, but know that it will get altered by your holy guardian angel, higher self, angels, guides, you know, whatever. So it's going to end up looking different and that's okay. And anytime mm -hmm. we end up in a lineage, that's like, no, it must be exactly like this because I said so. I, that's not necessarily incorrect. I mean, Zen can sometimes be like that. Some of the more masculine energies of Tantra can be like that. But the person who's telling you that should be able to tell you why, why and should be open to discussion about it. And if they're not, then that's something you really need to, you know, decide, does this actually still fit for me? Yeah, like if anyone ever asked me, why do I have to do this specific form of concentration meditation? Can't I just like zone out and go to my happy place to meditate? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I can explain why from a neuroscience perspective and from a traditional perspective that this form of meditation changes your brain in this way, Yeah. right? Like if you're teaching and you don't understand why you're teaching the things the way they are, like you have to go back to your own why and like why, how did you learn these and what was the benefit and, you know, where are you coming from, mm -hmm. right? And if somebody's teaching you and they don't have that why of like, why is this practice important? Like you got to get curious about that. And then if they don't have the answers, get curious about why you're following them as a teacher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, sometimes the why can simply be because, and we do this with our clients, our one-on-one -on -one clients all the time. Sometimes the why is quite simply because I know you don't want to. Mm -hmm. 
right? I know you don't want to, and that is why you need to do it. Sometimes that's the why, but at least there's a why. Yeah. There's a really good um, analogy that is coming up to me for closing, and it's um, a family, and the, the woman makes her ham every year for Christmas. She oh. buys her ham, and she cuts the edges off the ham. <sighs> this is Have you heard this one? one? This is a great one. Yeah. yeah. yeah go, go. Every year, she cuts the edges off the ham. And then one day, her husband comes up, and he's like, dude, why are you cutting the edges off? Like, what are you cutting the ends of the ham off for? Like, that's good meat. What are you doing? And she's like, oh, well, my mom... My mom always did it this way. Like, this is just how you cook ham. And he's like, I don't think that's how you cook ham. Maybe you should ask her. So mom comes over for Christmas and she says, hey, mom, why do you, why do you cut the edges off the ham? And mom says, I don't really know. It's just the way my mom always used to do it. So grandma comes over for Christmas and mom and daughter say, hey, grandma, why did you cut the, why, why did we start cutting the edges off the ham? Like, what does that do for the ham? And she's like, oh, because my pan was too small. <laughs> and so you can see now here's a, a tradition that this family carried for three generations of wasting almost half of their ham strictly because grandma did not have a pan that was big enough and they took it as tradition and they held it in their heart like this is how you cook a ham and the ham is the most important meal at a christmas dinner or an easter dinner or whatever fancy dinner it was you have to cut the edges off the ham and it wasn't until an outside observer came in and was like ah Hey, yo, what you doing that for? Oh, my God. That's so good. And that, that's why religions and practices change with every culture they encounter, because the outsiders always look at it from an outsider's perspective. And from their own cultural window dressing. And they try it on, and then they throw out the bathwater and keep the baby. Keep your babies, folks. Yeah. Babies are good. <laughs> Mm, babies oh my god what is happening right now <laughs> all right we'll talk to you guys later we'll see you next week we love you all let you let us know what you thought of this episode and um don't eat babies <laughs> we are so grateful that you decided to hit play on today's episode if anything in this episode has inspired you or helped you transform your life, make sure to let others know by sharing a review on Spotify or iTunes so we can keep our community growing. We absolutely adore giving away free gifts. Send us a screenshot of your review to team at theprism.org to receive a special meditation from us as a gift of gratitude. We absolutely cannot wait to connect with you in the next episode. Between now and then, don't forget to visit our website at theprism.org. And remember, the goal is always in you.